0: We are um uh week 15 with our Spirit Field series, and we're going to try to wrap that up. I told them in the prayer room this morning, I'm, I'm so excited to be finishing this Spirit Field uh, series because I'm tired of God beating me up of, of how bad a person I am. And so I'm ready to move on to the works of the flesh, which I know probably be better, and some of you are in there with me. Um, but um, it has been a great, great series. It's been so much fun to explore this and the conversations and the things that have happened. And um, I, I really do pray that you will pray uh, about Thursday night as we we take a um, a step towards this generation that uh, that we we've taken some steps but we haven't taken this kind of step and i, I believe the to open the door for conversation um, is is huge because relationship and community are still at the top of everybody's list. I don't care who you are, and so we we want to step into that. We want to see what God wants to say to us. We want to learn what we can learn. And I'm so uh, grateful that uh, Jordan and uh, Seth and his wife Cece uh, Garton uh, are going to be there to to share, and they're they're going to kind of be our our door openers uh, for this conversation. Uh, because uh, I didn't even notice she was there. Look at that. Um, and uh, so. You know the the CrossFit culture is um, is kind of like church. People call it a cult, and um, it, it's a little bit strange. And uh, but people that are in are in. And uh, I love. Um, I went over and I met with Seth about two weeks ago just to see if if it's something he would do. And uh, it, it, one of his core values, one of their core values, is is if you see a new person, you make a new friend. In other words, if somebody walks in that door, you stop what you're doing. And you go and you make sure that they're welcome, and that you become you you become part of their workout. You you invest in them as a human being, and uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, but that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a collection of people that don't know each other. It's supposed to be a collection of people that invest in each other. And uh, you know that that sounds strange to some people because some people want to go and hide. You know. I, you know, I had the, you know did the big church thing in Birmingham, and there would be people that I would see. There was a couple, Luke and Kenry Mastriani, that came to church for almost six months before I could catch them. Uh, and you know, because uh, you know, it's a big, you know big church, and he goes in all different directions. And and finally, one Sunday, I finished my part early, and somebody else came up to speak, and I literally went and stood behind them um, because I was curious. You know, who is this beautiful Indian girl and this? Scared to death, little white boy, and um, and and finally I met him, and and we just began investing in relationship. And they, are t- two people that that I love with all my heart. I was blessed to do their their marriage. I was just, just amazing people. But they were terrified that somebody was going to ask them their story. They were terrified that somebody was going to ask them their story. And yet, what they realized was, is they now have a group of friends that are so deep and so intimate that their their life is forever changed, and they have helped transform other people's lives because they are known, but they know. And that's the beauty, and that's what we want to step into with this generation. And so I do hope that you will, will give some time. Uh, we're going to close this out today. I'm talking about these uh these last two if you look at galatians five twenty two and twenty three uh where we get this this list if you will and it's not so much a list uh, but uh, it says that the the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control these are these are gifts that god gives to us and um The two that we're going to look at today, uh, the last two that are listed, gentleness and self-control, are closely linked to humility, because gentleness is the grace of the soul. It's not weakness. You know, the Beatitudes talks about blessed are the meek. Well, the meek aren't some little puny, uh, they have no ability to do anything. They're, They're people that have power in their life under control. Uh, it's not that they don't have power. It's just it's under control. Uh, Paul's second letter to, to Timothy, he wrote that the Lord's servant will correct his opponents with gentleness. Uh, now, some of us grew up in homes that we may not have always gotten corrected with gentleness, but we got corrected. And, and I can tell you, I needed it. Um, but gentleness would have been a nice attribute to have had been corrected under. Um, he he says in Galatians 6, verse 1, that those who have been caught in sin should be restored in the spirit of gentleness. Uh, too often, the church is charged in like we're knights uh, doing a joust with somebody that's caught in sin, like we've never been caught in sin in our life. And I think we've kind of lost sight of that the only things that change people are grace and love. Grace and love are the only two things that will lead somebody's life to a different place. You can berate them, you can shame them, you can guilt them, you can do all that stuff, but you're not going to transform their life into the image of Christ. You're going to transform it into the image of an angry culture, which by the way, they will be in that culture forever because we're going to shoo them away because we've lost sight of the work of God in our life to give us a better ethic of how we deal and relate to people. Uh, gentleness uh, is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It's a key ingredient in Ephesians 4.2 of, of the peace in the body of Christ in unity. Uh, let me give you kind of a strange image. Uh, maybe uh, we need to become the proverbial elephant in the room as opposed to the bull in the china shop. Now, some of you are thinking, have you ever seen an elephant I have in Africa? I was just 15 or so feet away from some massive elephants that one charged our vehicle as we were working through the woods. But listen, that elephant that has 40,000 muscles just in the trunk alone, 40,000 muscles are in the trunk. That trunk can pull down a tree, but that trunk also has the ability to grab a single blade of grass. That's power under control. Um, an elephant has a protective mechanism unless the elephant has suffered severe abuse. Typically, an elephant will only get aggressive in defense of what? Your children. know, yeah, I, I told uh, one of the other coaches yesterday, um, you know, I coached my little boys for. 12U team and I, I said I learned something that became so apparent to me is when I can't protect my kids from stuff and not just my children my my own children but even the kids on my team I, I find myself getting angry when you can't protect a child when you can't protect someone you, you ever you ever you ever get that anybody that you, you okay There's five of us in the room the rest of you okay y'all don't listen to me anymore because we don't live the same life um, but you, you you know you. And that's what he's called us to with this, this idea of of bringing power under control for something bigger than ourselves, It's not, it's not selfishness. You, you think about a couple stories in scripture that are probably pretty familiar. If you've been around church, if you haven't, I think you'll, you'll get it in the fourth chapter of John, uh, Jesus is traveling and he goes through Samaria and his disciples. There's just a little, little tag in the scripture. I think about verse seven, it says that the, the disciples went in town to get food and there was a woman that, that came to get some water at the well. And Jesus said, Hey, would, would you give me some of your water? And she's like, "Um, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. You're not supposed to talk to me. Why are you asking me for water? And Jesus engages her in this amazing conversation. Um, It probably would not have happened exactly like that if the disciples had been there because the disciples, when they get back, they realize that Jesus has had a conversation with this woman. They're kind of taken back. Uh, because he's breaking all, broken all the social norms and all the ways of of decorum in their world and, and he's given uh, identity and he's given respect and he's given honor to this woman who they in their mind is not respectable and not respect worthy and let's just be honest, we have people in our life that we view like that they don't always they're not always women. But that kind of happens in us. There are people that we don't feel worthy of respect or honor, and we kind of treat them with that way. But Jesus steps in and says, look, if you you knew who I was, if you really knew who I was, you you would be like, hey, would you give me some water? Uh, Because this is going to be, you're going to come every day, and you're going to get this water, and you're going to drink it, and you're never going to be satisfied. And and we live in a world where people are looking for water that's going to satisfy them. The problem is, is that we're not finding it. Can we just say that in the physical world? We're just not finding it. I mean, in your marriage, you're looking for something and you're not finding it. And in your family and in your work and in your places, unless, unless, unless it's the water that comes from the Spirit of God, because that's the only water that will quench. Yes. That's the only water that will satiate. That's the only water that will settle things out. Now, is it perfect? Well, it it is, except in our hands, because once it comes on into us, we... We kind of mess it up. We kind of turn, try to turn it and change it into what we want and how we want, as if God didn't fully do what He should have done, because that's kind of where we find ourselves. And so Jesus gives this woman identity, uh, and you see, you know, you, you see this idea of self control in Jesus, because Jesus has this conversation, and He kind of throws this little thing out there, like, "Hey." Um, why don't you go back home and get your husband? And it's not like he doesn't know what's going on, okay? Let's just go ahead and say that. And she goes, well, you know, I'm not married. And he goes, yeah, I know. You've been divorced five times. In other words, you've had five men look at you and say, I don't want you. And, and it's easy to go, well, she's five times divorced. But, you know, what? what would it be like to be that woman and have five men say, you know what? It's you, not me. And Jesus says, matter of fact, the guy you're with now, he's never going to satisfy you either. Boy, that's a brutal statement, isn't it? But yet, there's also this, there's also this gentleness that is in that. And he's not shaming her. As if he wanted to shame her, he could have launched into a tirade. Don't you know what the law says? Ah. But Jesus gives her identity, and he meets her with a compassion, and you know that she gets it because she's not running from him. And then she's like, "Well, you know, we were taught to worship on this mountain, and we were taught." And she so she's trying to say, yeah, I, "Something's something's different about you. I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go this direction and see where I get." And, and Jesus meets her where she is. And, and Jesus doesn't start pointing out all the reasons why she's divorced five times. Which, by the way, in our world, you just go commit some public sin and see if people don't come remind you. And unfortunately, particularly the people that are church people. And then you have this odd story in John chapter 8 where there's woman that's actually caught in the act of adultery, of breaking covenant. And they're like, hey, um, dude, you claim to be righteous and holy. We caught this woman doing this, and the law says that she should die by stoning, and we've got the rocks. What do you think ought to happen? Now, it would be easy for Jesus to go, well, you know what, the law is the law, let's do it. But Jesus deflects the attention away from her life, and as he bends down and writes in the sand and gets up, and he goes, you know what? I was just thinking about this. The one of you that has no sin in his life, why don't you go ahead and just go ahead and throw the first soul? You know, he probably could have looked at him and went, hey, person A, Today, you did this, 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 this. And you prayed a prayer that you were taught to pray. And you really don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so let's talk about that. But he doesn't get into their sin. He just lets them ruminate in what they know about themselves. You ever been in one of those situations where your sin becomes so glaringly obvious to not only everybody in the room, but you? And all you can think about is, is what rock can I hide under? And Jesus does a, a a gentleness to this woman because he deflects the attention away from her brokenness and he begins to draw them out to themselves. He, he doesn't have to condemn them. He doesn't have to, they do it to themselves. They do it to themselves. And there's this amazing gentleness that Jesus expresses, and by the way, he expressed the same gentleness to us. Second Timothy 3 says it this way, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered, lovers of themselves, and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander, Slaves to their desires, they will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. And some church person right now is reading that going, I know the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I think he's talking about the church first. Because we've turned into lovers of self and what we like and what we want and what this and what that. And we are not living that gentleness of Christ. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Ephesians 4:29 And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others do this by speaking words of grace to help them um it's this is not a thing about perfection because uh Lord knows we all struggle we all have that moment we all have those moments we but listen here's the deal about gentleness and self-control the the last of these characteristics that that Paul gives a description of of the fruit of the spirit it points us back to thinking about the works of the flesh. Uh, those of us with the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have the strength to control our sinful desires and to say no. He tells us that in Romans 5, 6, and 7. Excuse me, self-control gives us the power to say yes to the Spirit and foster this beautiful, bountiful harvest of spiritual fruit. Paul uses the word fruit of the Spirit to imply some different things about Christian change. Uh, It says that change is gradual, Change is inevitable. Change is internal, and change is symmetrical. We're just going to kind of work through that a little bit. The, the word fruit evokes a botanical metaphor of growth. I mean, think about this. You never really see plant growth happen. Now, you see the evidence of the change, but you nobody sits out there with a chair and a microscope and stays with their eye on that plant all day, every day, do you? But you come out and you go, oh, there are blooms. Oh, there's little tomatoes. Oh. And you begin to see the work of what God is doing. Um, we, we never really see plant growth happen. It's too small and gradual to see. But then you notice it at some point when the fruit begins to bear itself out. Growth is sometimes seasonal. Growth is something we may not really feel, but it has to be measured. If you have the spirit in your life, there's going to be change. That's the promise of God. Um, But remember, we're not saved by fruit. We're saved by faith. And people grow fruit in different speeds, in different places, in different times, in different seasons. Other people's Lives being changed through you doesn't mean your own life is being changed. Now, that's a perplexing one. Think about that for a second. Um, We will never be saved by fruitless faith. Okay? But it's possible for us to help someone else grow and not grow ourselves. You, you, you know, we, we learn from the good examples of what to do, and we learn from the, oh my gosh, God help me not to do that. Um, and, and so we, we can be someone's teacher and not ourselves be taught. All of the graces go together because real peace comes from humility. And just because you're gentle doesn't necessarily mean you're loving. They, they, they flow into each other. Love is the fruit of the spirit and it comes in many different flavors. Paul uses the word fruit as singular before using a list of the fruits of the Spirit to show that the growing list, excuse me, is symmetrical. It happens together. All of the graces are interdependent. They foster another, and they foster another, and they foster another. We'll talk about that in a minute. A person of integrity is going to be the same no matter who they are with because the integrity comes from the peace of God and the joy that abides deep in their soul. They're not looking for joy. They already possess joy. Joy without faithfulness and patience isn't real joy. Some are unflappable, but they might not be getting to be gentle or kind. Their seeming peacefulness is simply because they don't care. You can see people that you go, man, that, that person never gets excited. They never go here, they never go there. It doesn't say that they have absolute peace. It just means they're so detached from the situation that they just don't care about anything or anybody that's going on. Being too naive and being too cynical both come from a self righteous lack of self control. If we're going to grow in grace, a couple of things have to happen. Jesus says we have to crucify our sinful nature. Paul writes about it in Romans 6. And we've got to also keep in step with the Spirit. To crucify our sinful nature and to find the things in our lives that are more important than who Jesus is. If you really want to crucify the sinful nature, you start noticing the things that you are given to that have nothing to do with who God's called you to be. Boy, that's a painful process. <laughs> Listen, the the Spirit of God is in love and in step with the Father. The Son was in love and was in step with the Father. To keep in step with the Spirit is to do the same. Because the Spirit of God will never lead us into willful disobedient sin. And when we say, well, God wants this for me, or God God has never opened a door for you to walk in sin. And for us to advocate for that... Is absolute unrighteousness. Um, doing this, doing this means that that we're looking to find the beauty of Christ in our life, and to be the beauty of Christ for somebody else's life. Um, works are things that you can do, but the fruit of the Spirit is only something you can open yourself up to, because God has to develop that in us. Uh, in normal religion, and I know the, the religion is a loaded word for some people, okay? Some people are like, why do you have to say that? When I say religion, I'm not talking about the system of God's love for the world. I'm talking about the system that people created to control other people. I think we call that legalism. In normal religion, the motivation for morality is fear-based. If you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. If you eat your green beans, you're a good little boy or girl. If you keep the law, you are, well, which law did you keep? Because James tells us if we fail in one of the 613 social laws that they had, that we failed the whole system. Um, Morality is fear-based. In gospel Christianity, in good news Christianity, the motivation is a dynamic of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Now that's 3.16, and you all know 3.16, but what about 3.17? How well-versed are we that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world? But it's easier to leave the condemnation hanging over somebody's head. Why? Because it will get them to do what you think you want them to do. But the motivation of guilt and shame does not produce the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Try holding your hand or some sin over your spouse if you're married. Let me know how that goes. I know some good counselors, some therapists that can help with that because I don't want to get involved. To be led by the Spirit is to change, to transform, to be changed, to be the people that, that not only we want to be, but, but that God has inspired us to be. The Spirit-fueled development of Christ-like character is liberating because it brings us closer to being the people that we were designed to be, the people our Spirit-renewed hearts want us to be. I mean, listen, we're, you know this, we're saved by faith, not by growing fruit but we're not saved by fruitless faith. A person saved by faith will be a person in whom the fruit of the Spirit grows. The fruit of the Spirit has internal roots. It's not about traits or characteristics. It's about a change much deeper than that. Think about an apple tree. Do the apples on the tree make the tree alive? No. The apples show that the tree is alive. They are the fruit of a tree that is healthy. You can tie apples to a tree that's dead, and it's not going to bring that tree back to life. Well, we try to tie some things to our life, hoping that it will give the appearance of life, but the reality is is that life breeds life and death breeds death. That's just the way it works. The word for gentleness is pratis, gentleness, humility, self forgetfulness, which is an interesting definition. The opposite is to be superior or self absorbed because humility is not the same as inferiority. And so when he calls us to, to gentleness, he's calling us to be willing to give ourselves away for the sake of others because that's what Jesus did. And then, ekritia, the word for self control, is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent, rather than to be always impulsive or uncontrolled, the slightly counterfeit of willpower, which is based on pride, and the need to feel in control. When we look closely at the fruit of the Spirit and we see that that there's, there are aspects that cannot be seen in isolation from any of the others, we see that we are far more in need of growth. I mean, if your life is stuck in a particular area, track it back and then track it forward and see what you learn. See what God's trying to do in your life. When we look closely at the fruit of the Spirit, when we look closely at the fruit of the Spirit, We stop looking at our natural strengths as a sign of our Christ-likeness. We challenge ourselves to look at the nature, unity, and definitions of the Spirit. And then we develop a much deeper sense of how we lack certain things in our life. It's basically looking in the mirror, but we're looking in the mirror of our soul and our heart. Self-control is the personal discipline or the control in aspect, all aspects of one's life, especially with regard to our sexual passions. Because remember, we've talked about this, that your appetites always say more now. More now. Your appetites never say, wait a few more hours. You, you can eat, and if your appetite says, I didn't get enough, it's going to drive you crazy until you go and get something. If you ever found yourself... Let's say maybe on a keto diet. And somebody says, hey, how do you, how do you, da, 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 da. Oh, I I just stay away from it all. Well, why don't you just try a little bit? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Because if I put that taste back in my mouth, it is going to wreck me. Because you don't know that I have an addictive personality. And if I dabble with a little sugar, I'm going to jump in the whole bowl. And our appetites always say what? More now. Particularly when it comes to self. Because we have a selfish bent that we inherited from Adam. Self-control is listed last on the list by Paul, but it doesn't mean that it's that self-control is the least important fruit of the Spirit. Um, it easily could have been the first because in some ways... Um, Self-control, like love, is, is kind of glue that that holds things together. Because if you can't bring yourself under submission to Christ, how are you ever going to have joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness or self-control? How are you ever? Um, self-control is a gift of God's grace. Um, it's been called disciplined or trained grace, It's grace because it's free. It's discipline because there's something for us to do to come under control of ourselves. In other words, we're submitting to God. Uh, When we fail to control ourselves, our feelings, our appetites, our drives, they will control us. You already know that. So we we have to choose self-control under the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, or we must accept being controlled by someone or something else. Um, it's the reason Jesus said you can't love both God and money because you will love one and hate the other. You will cling to the one and you will despise the other. You will be torn apart and you're going to have to choose who's going to be your master. Uh, In a sense, self-control kind of sums up all the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit because to develop the fruit of the Spirit is to allow our spirit, in which the Holy Spirit dwells, to be in control of our soul and our body. To the extent that we achieve this, we become mature and we become complete. We become single-minded and we achieve inner peace because we've become fully submitted to God. Now, you're hearing like, I got to do, no, 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 no. You, You can't do this. You can't produce that fruit in your life. God has to produce the fruit. You have to choose to submit, which by the way is not a great word for us, is it? It's not at the top of the categories. Um, A common characteristic, and we'll close with this, of all the acts of the sinful nature is a lack of self-control. As we develop self-control and we learn genuine satisfaction and we we, we develop that joy of living a spirit-filled life, the power of these sinful impulses begin to lose control. But it's not work we do, it's work God does. I mean, every skill has to be practiced. People sometimes hate sports because of the discipline of doing something over and over and over and over again. The repetition leads to monotony. But how many times do you do the same things every day? And if you lose the understanding of why they're important, you will walk away from them and we will begin to become unraveled. Self control leads to perseverance as we value the long term good instead of the instant gratification. Remember, our appetites say more now. Self control is a gift that frees us. It frees us to enjoy the benefits of a healthy body, it frees us from a guilty conscience. Self control restricts the indulgence of our foolish desires. Self control, gentleness. I'm gonna close with these four things for you. For self-control, think about this. Prepare our minds for action. I mean, if if you find yourself thinking something that it wasn't there a couple minutes ago, you got to ask yourself, okay, had I already pre-made the decision of what I was going to do if that temptation came? Joseph, I believe, in Genesis when his boss's wife says, let's get it on. He had already pre-made the decision of what he would do if that happened. And his answer was absolutely not. How could I sin against my God that way? In other words, the intimacy that he had with God gave him a self-control. Sometimes it's just... That 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 preparation of the mind, if we're not prepared, you've got to take a deep breath. You've got, to, you've got to step back, and you've got to begin to pray yet again for strength for the daily battle, because the battle happens daily. But you also have to have the right attitude, and the right attitude is humility. I, I had a guy that I was just deeply close with and in Birmingham, and one day he, he got so arrogant, he said, I dared Satan to test me. He he lost his wife and he lost all four of his kids. He lost his business. I believe he lost his mind. Um, arrogance is 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 not a is not a real deep high quality, and yet we all at times struggle from it. Um, be careful who you challenge. Incubate the right envi- environment. Incubate the right environment. Um, you know, we find ourselves in some pretty negative environments. If your environment is beginning to alter the way you see yourself and you see life and it's beginning to alter behaviors that have always been solid, you need to get out of that environment and you need to incubate. You you need to promote the healthy environment of what keeps you moving in the direction God's called you to move. And then Uh, I think the last one I would say is that we need to live out loud the way Jesus did. Jesus called a spade a spade, but he did it in a way that the people are like, oh, I feel good about myself. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying it was always easy to hear what Jesus said to people, but he didn't destroy them. And, And remember, Galatians 6 says, if you know someone caught in a sin, go to them gently and meekly. In other words, you've got power and anger under control so that you can win them back. So you can win them back. Listen, I I got this guy that I love. I mean, I I, I absolutely love. Him. And I have been walking with him for months and months and months now. And, and I, I'm not giving up on him. He's been clean for nine months. I mean, excuse me, four months. In the last few days, he has gone on a drunken binge. It's going to cost him his family. It's going to cost him everything he's got. And he won't pick up the phone and I can't find him. And you know what? I'm going to run into him. Because when you're hunting for somebody, God always directs you to find them. But i got to ask myself, how am I going to approach him? Well, I, I already know. I'm going to approach him with the same brokenness that people and humility that people approached me long ago. Because intervention is love, not hatred. And the only way to win someone back to where they long and need to be is love and grace, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there's part of me that wants to go club him over the head with a baseball bat. I'll just be honest with you. Because I love him. And I'm watching the destruction in the family. But you know as well as I do that he and I are just going to get into a fight and we're never going to be able to repair that because we're both too prideful. And and you know people like that yourself. And you're thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? And if the thought of anger expressed in hatred is at the top of your list, I'm going to ask you to die to that before you destroy yourself and someone else. Because God came out of love to a world that rejected Him, the creator of the universe. He paid a debt that He didn't owe but only He could pay. He met us where we are, not where He was, because we couldn't go up, but He could come down. Gentleness and self-control. Let's pray this morning. Father, I, I just, God, these are hard words. Lord, these are hard words, and, and Lord, I think sometimes we get in our mind that we have to produce this fruit in our life, and yet, Lord, You're the one that produces the fruit. You're the one. You're the one. And so, Lord, I, I just I pray, God, for all of us. Lord, I pray for an awareness of you and your love for us and an awareness that you are at work in our lives, even when we don't see it, because growth is so gradual. But, Lord, that we could let your Spirit have your way in us. Lord, I pray that You speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray for those that need to find a prayer partner this morning in the prayer room or or over by the cross, Lord. We just pray over people and love people. I pray, Father, for the person that is so caught up in their own life that they can't even see right now. Lord, I just pray that You direct us back to You. That Your Spirit breeds life. Lord, a little bit as we go to communion that we are just reminded yet again, yet again, yet again, that You gave so that we could receive, that You loved so we could be loved and in turn love others. And so, Father, meet us in this place. Meet us in this place, Lord Jesus. Speak into our hearts. Speak into our hearts, Father. May we not let these moments Pass by. But Lord, may we step into them, being fully aware of who you are. I pray that in the name of Jesus, O oh Lord. Amen.